So we are at the last of our uh, messages here on this series uh, on the transformation of Simon Peter into God's man. And today, this morning, we're looking at how God was expanding his people, expanding what we understand to be his privileged people. And that required stretching God's man, stretching Peter, stretching those other apostles, stretching even those that that walked with Jesus and thought they picked up his heart, had even been indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the the day of Pentecost and, and thought that they were following the heart of God. But they were Jews and and didn't have it in their concept that Gentiles, us, that we could be saved too without becoming Jews. Uh, You've heard the term before when something dominates the news cycle, right? And and it means that that it happens and and everybody's talking about it. Every uh, cable show is talking about it and maybe even might even be talking about it for a couple of days, right? Not just a couple of hours as as we see in our modern day news cycle that we live in. Well, Luke, the historian, has recorded some some amazing earth-shattering events. He's recorded... Gabriel's announcement of the coming of Jesus to Mary. He, he has documented Jesus' birth. Uh, he's an, he's an, his, an historian, meaning he collected that information from eyewitnesses and inspired by the Holy Spirit. He, he's recorded the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Something that all of us who know Christ as our Savior... Uh, should understand in some way. And yet there's one event, one event that Luke records its description in detail three times in the book of Acts. Meaning it's talked about three times and it's explained in detail. There's plenty of things that were explained this way, but Luke the historian records it. And, and, And this is amidst the miraculous events of the book of Acts. This event can seem ordinary to us, especially as Gentile believers. But Luke, this is the event that Luke focuses in on so specifically. And so we'll read about that here this morning in Acts 10. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? So, so Cornelius is, he is a centurion. He's in charge of 100 Roman soldiers. And he is positioned, he's, he's stationed at, in Caesarea, which is the Roman seat of government in the, the area of Judea, which Jerusalem is, is in. And verse 2 describes him as being a devout man who feared God. He's a Gentile. He's, he would have been attached to a Jewish synagogue in some way. He hadn't fully become a proselyte into Judaism, uh, which would mean he hasn't received circumcision, he hasn't gone through the mikvah baptismal bath to become a a full-fledged Jew, 
but he's followed two of the primary expressions of the Jewish piety, prayer and the giving of, of alms or gifts of money to the poor. And so he's gotten as close to Judaism as he can. But we also see a, a picture into his heart here that he fears God. He's a godly man in many ways. He's, he's religious in many ways, although not saved, as we'll see here. It says, and he said to them, uh, he said to him, the angel speaking to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon the tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now understand that the Jews, based on the Old Testament law, they, they declared Gentiles to be unclean. Didn't, didn't want to have anything to do with them. They believed that to associate with a Gentile would make them unrelatable with God. And some Jews even referred to Gentiles as dogs. And Cornelius would have been thinking here, unless God does something miraculous here, there is no way that this devout Jew is going to step foot into my home. So we read, in the next day, they were on their journey and approaching the city. As they were on their journey and approaching the city, so that's the time frame, uh, of these people that have been sent from Cornelius are coming near to Joppa where Peter is. It says, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And from what we read next here, the sheet had unclean animals in it as well, which went, went against the Old Testament dietary law, which Peter had been following. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. That, that, that's not something I can really comprehend. Maybe some of you hunters or something. But he says, but Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times in this same sequence. The sheet comes down. Peter's like, no way. And God's like, do not call unclean. Or uh, what God has made clean, do not call common. And it says, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, we, we, we know that the Jewish law, the, the Mosaic law, forbid the consumption of these unclean animals that fall into certain categories and things. And when Peter says, surely not, this is more of a polite, subjective way of, of refusing rather than the much stronger term by no, that we would translate, by no means. You know, in verse 16, it must be that th uh, this three times is kind of Peter's required number for God to get something across to him, right? We read in verse 17, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, 
The spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. We see Peter got God's message of the vision because he obeys without question. In fact, he he goes more than does more than says I'll go with them, Lord. He, he actually invites these people into his house, and it's late enough that he has them stay the night. He invites these Gentiles into his home. Peter's gotten the message here. It says, and Peter went down to the men and said. I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. One writer says, salvation is a divine work of grace, but God works through human channels. God had to prepare Peter to bring the message and prepare Cornelius to hear the message. So we read in verse 23, as I mentioned, so he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. We we learn later that, that he actually takes six men with him. You can learn about that in Acts 11. This is actually three times the number of men that are needed to be a witness of something. Something important is happening here and about to happen. So we read in verse 24, And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. The term here is he reverenced him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I too am a man. I want to put in there, and I don't think you're a dog. That's what's going on here. Why why did Cornelius call together his relatives and and his friends? For, for, for this, this uh, circuit preacher. Well, we can, you can learn about that in Acts 11, verse 13 through 14, where, where Peter gives an account of this, and he, and he gives an account of what Cornelius also told him, where he says, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all of your household. Cornelius knows the, the importance of the message that Peter has for him. And anticipating the message by which his family and his friends can be saved. He gathers together them, them there in his house. And we, and we read about that in verse 27 again. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he, being Peter, said to him, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Speaking about the Old Testament law. But God has shown me that I should not call any person uh, common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. 
And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, and he, he gives an account of the, the angels uh, coming and the angel coming to him and speaking to him. And he says, in verse 33, he says, so I went for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. We read in verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. When he talks about they are acceptable to him, he's, he's saying they are welcomed by him. There's nobody that God says, oh no, not you. You can't come to me for salvation. And this term, they are acceptable to him, it doesn't refer to the same term for legal justification before God and the other related terms. The point here is that God's saving grace is available to Gentiles as well as to Jews at this point in history. This is like the new word. And Peter goes on to refer to the gospel of Jesus Christ in verse 36, where he says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. In other words, we weren't hanging out with a ghost here. He had a physical body. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I want you to notice that uh, what I've talked about before, the consistent inconsistency of the book of Acts here, okay? How, is, how, is they, how are they called to respond to the gospel message here? Everyone who believes in him. This is a different response of faith called for than, say, what we saw in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Or what we saw in, in 3.19, repent and turn back. What is consistent, though? Okay, it's not all inconsistent. What is consistent? Salvation by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay? And we'll touch base on this again. But his hearers, we understand, laid hold of the whosoever. Okay, of the everyone who believes in him. They applied it to themselves. They believed on Jesus and they were saved. And that's what we see the evidence of in verse 44 where it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Literally, this means they were beside themselves, literally. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. 
for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then we read, Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptism, for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. A key statement in, in these accounts, both in, in what Peter or, or what Luke rec- records here in Acts 10 and what Peter shares with, with the church in Jerusalem when, he's, when he has to defend himself in Acts 11 and both what Paul and Barnabas as well as Peter in, in a council that is held in Acts 15, a, a term, a phrase that, that keeps coming up is that these people received the Holy Spirit just as we have, just as we did. It's talking about at Pentecost, when the Jews received the indwelling Holy Spirit through their faith in Christ. This isn't a momentous event. We we don't have an appreciation for it. Because we as Gentiles, and and having understood 2,000 years of the indwelling Holy Spirit, We don't understand what came at that moment at Pentecost and what was made available to Gentiles without having become Jews at this moment. And it's so much so that Luke describes, like like I mentioned, what happens three different times here. In chapter 11, Peter is forced to defend baptizing Gentiles as Christians. In verse 15, he says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And later, Paul and Barnabas, as I mentioned, they returned to Antioch. And after seeing many Gentiles come to Christ and forming churches. But we read in verse of Acts 15, verses 1 and 2. But some men came down from Judea to the church in Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, meaning becoming Jews, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So Paul and Barnabas are sent to Jerusalem to help clear things up with Peter there as well. And you can read in Acts 15, starting in verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, Brothers, you know that in in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's talking about this moment here with Cornelius and his family. And he says, And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. The ESV Study Bible says these Gentiles had come to genuine saving faith in Christ and had received the new covenant power and fullness of the Holy Spirit, which was a sign that they had been accepted by God as full and equal members of his people. And, you know, we don't even know, we don't even think about how much we have benefited from God doing that. First thing I want to really get across to you here this morning, realize that God does not prioritize certain groups. God does not prioritize certain groups. It may be easy for us to think in the West and the way that the gospel has has impacted the West so significantly that somehow 
We're closer to God because of it. Uh, guys, at some point, we were far away. We were not a part of God's program. We were in no way attached to it. But God opened it up for us. And the message that he was sending to his privileged people at that time was, I don't prioritize certain groups. It's available to everyone. And Peter says this, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Remember again that means is, is welcomed by him for salvation upon their trust in Christ. to be saved. God wasn't just expanding Peter's diet in this chapter. He was expanding Peter's social he wasn't just expanding Peter's social circle either. God was expanding his privileged people to include us. And just as all our sinners as you can read about in Romans 3:23 all are eligible for salvation as well. This is what God talks about in Romans 11:32. God has consigned all to disobedience. Meaning God, God recognized that everybody has walked away from him. That he may have mercy on all. On all kinds of people. Nobody is uneligible for God's mercy. You know what's really sad? Is with the dawn of the evolutionary worldview. Okay? In the late 1800s, the, as, as it has happened in, in law, as it has happened in, in politics... Uh, at, at that time, evolution w- s- uh, crept into uh, sociology. And there was an understanding of what's called social evolution. Okay, and so there was an understanding that certain cultures were more evolved and were more human than other cultures. Sadly, that crept into the church in the West, in Europe. Okay, so the understanding was that they saw it was Look at how the gospel has impacted the European culture. Therefore, applying social evolution to this, our culture is a more godly culture. Our meaning our harpsichords, the way we dress, the songs we sing. And this is why beginning in the late 1800s, when missionaries would go to third world countries, they would take their harpsichord. They would take their, their classical music. They would take their dress. They would take it all. And so part of discipling people was making them Western, was making them dress like Westerners, was teaching them English, was teaching them the Western songs and things like that. See, this is a part of our human condition. And sadly, it's been a part of the church of thinking that there's some social groups, there's some people groups that were just closer to God in some way like that. Obviously, it comes out in racism as well. But sad today, I mean, look at mainline European churches that have become void of the gospel. I have to wonder if it's because they made an idol of their cultural way of doing church and worship that rather than worshiping God. As Westerners, the Western world is running headlong into encouraging sin. I have to tell you people, 
the way that our culture from our governing officials to our, our social workers to, to the broken homes, the way that is running headlong into sexual sin, it, it honestly makes me wonder if, if we are under a Romans 1 judgment of our culture claiming to be wise, we've become fools and given away the glory of God and replaced it with the glory of man. And and in that scenario of Romans 1, he gives that culture over to sexual sin, to homosexual sin, to loss of understanding of gender, of sexuality. It seems like everybody's going nuts, like nobody can think straight about these things. And I wonder if it's God's judgment on the Western culture, to be honest with you. I'm just giving you my opinion here. But I, I read recently in a Christianity Today article, the church has seen a dramatic explosive growth in Asia, in Africa, and in South America. The growth of the African church, in particular, it says, is jaw-dropping. In the 1900, there were fewer than 9 million Christians in Africa. Now there are more than 541 million in the last 50, 50, I'm sorry, in the last 15 years alone, the church in Africa has seen a twin, has seen a 51 percent increase, which works out to an average of 33,000 people either becoming Christians or being born into Christian families every day in Africa alone. Okay, and if we have this idea, well, uh, you know, that dark Africa, they need the gospel. Those drums, those evil drums, they need, they need to get rid of this syncopated music. Guys, God does not prioritize certain groups. I, I, I'm, I'm pleased to share with you, and, and I, incur, I appreciate the encouragement uh, of this in our, in our recent uh, informational gathering. Uh, we've, we've just gotten our foot in the door just a little bit into a work of God that's been going on in the Boran people in Ethiopia and Kenya. And uh, I've got some information for you uh, on the back if you're interested. I've got a couple pieces of paper on the Welcome Center that you could grab to learn more about that. I've actually got four DVD copies over there of a special video that we have of the work going on there. It says, please return, because we ask that you, if you take it and watch it, maybe watch it with your family, watch it with your small group, bring it back next week so that other people can grab it too. But guys, God is doing an amazing work and we need to open our eyes up that it's not just the West that God wants to work in. Certainly not just white people. But I want to challenge you too. God does not prioritize those who grew up in the church versus new believers. He doesn't prioritize those who attend church or, or have always been attending church longer versus newcomers. God does not prioritize people with lighter skin over people with darker skin. God doesn't prioritize people who live, who, who've never struggled with addiction versus those who live in recovery. We are all called to come to the saving faith based on Christ's righteousness. And we all stand on the same footing of grace. That is one of the biggest messages that Peter learns here. And all people are eligible for salvation. But not all people are saved. And I want you to see that here. 
this morning. Realize that all are organized into two groups. All people are organized into two groups. Notice he says, he talks about what Jesus commanded them to preach. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Why do I say that all are organized into two groups? Notice what first group number one. Group number one, that everyone, one of these groups everyone falls into, first group is Jesus as their judge. The first group that that we might fall into is Jesus as our judge. What did Jesus command Peter and others to preach? That Jesus is the one appointed by God to judge, to be the judge of the living and the dead. Cornelius is so much of a model of religious respectability, but he was not saved. He wasn't saved. He fit into this category of one who would be judged by Jesus. Speaking of himself, Jesus told Nicodemus, whoever believes in Jesus, in me, is not condemned But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Prior to hearing and believing, Cornelius was condemned already. And there are plenty, even maybe even in the church, that says, would say, look at Cornelius. He's so sincere. He's so religious. He just believes. He's a man of faith. Let's leave him alone. You know, let's respect his religion. Cornelius needed to be saved. Peter didn't walk in and say, man, I can't hold a candle against you. He said, no, Jesus is the only way of salvation, Cornelius. And you need him. That's our first category. The first group that everybody falls into is, is, is with Jesus as their judge. And prior to hearing and believing, Cornelius was condemned already, but what he had going for it is he knew it. Is he knew it. And we should not shrink back on helping people to know it, to know that they need Jesus. But thank God there's another category that everyone might fall into. Group number two is those with Jesus as their Savior. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We learned last week from Peter's bold proclamation before the Jewish leaders in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is the one by which we must be saved, Jesus. And Jesus only. You know, you know what the danger is of wearing a pair of sunglasses that don't have UV protection? Is you think your eyes are protected. Your eyes are wide open on a bright sunny day. In fact, they're open more than they would be if you didn't have the glasses on. But there's no protection there. 
they, they'll convince you that you're fine. But the damage can even be greater. Just like those deceptive sunglasses, that's what, that's what religion is. Even some Christian, quote-unquote, religion might have the right book, might have the right names, but no gospel of grace through faith alone. No personal relationship evidenced by the indwelling Holy Spirit. It might just be this, well, we, we're all Christians here. We, you know, you're a part of this, we're a part of him. It's like sunglasses that give no protection. But it'll make you think you do. It'll make you think you're fine. I think Peter's, Peter's final statement was the zinger for his hearers, right? That all the prophets bear witness to Christ that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. With, with that statement, everyone, Cornelius and his family, heard that they too could have salvation. Their faith found the truth that it needed to hear, and the Holy Spirit took up residency within them. And this is one of those places that in the book of Acts, the God uses the speaking of tongues to confirm, I just did something amazing here. I just did something unexpected here. And if I didn't do this right now, you wouldn't see these people as being connected to salvation the same way you were Jews. It's very intentional with the way that he uses the gift of tongues in the book of Acts. But along with that, I challenge you, realize that you cannot formalize the Holy Spirit. You cannot formalize the Holy Spirit. We, we, we know that while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who would come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter was just getting warmed up. I, I imagine, you know, there was more to his message than maybe Luke recorded here. <coughs> He's just getting warmed up here, and the Holy Spirit interrupts his meeting when his hearers believe. Like I said, I've said it a number of times, the consistent factor in the book of Acts when it comes to salvation is inconsistency. Except for one thing, faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But it, it's inconsistent in other areas. And, and I think that God gives us this for a reason. It's because I think we gravitate toward formulaic legalism. We gravitate toward these, okay, God, if I do this and then I do this, you got to do this. Or, or, well, wow, you know, if, if, if this happens, then it must mean for sure that, that this is what God's about. We gravitate toward legalistic formulas. And one formula that, that, that uh, there, you know, one formula that we might gravitate toward is what must really be done? What work must be done in order to ensure salvation? Okay? Some Christian cultures, they've made that of the sinner's prayer. Okay, as long as the person prays this prayer, they're in like Flynn. 
You know, and, and no matter what their life looks like from that point forward, don't ever doubt that they're a believer because they prayed that prayer. Okay, that's what I mean by it's kind of a legalistic formula that we gravitate toward. We don't see sinner's prayers in the book of Acts. Is, is praying the sinner prayer a bad thing? No. But don't assume the work of God because we did something. All right? Uh, another area that, that we, uh, a formula that we gravitate toward has to do with baptism. Okay? Well, if the person got wet, if the person got baptized, as long as they went all the way down, you know, they're in like Flynn. Okay, but do you see how we gravitate toward these works? Because that, that's just our bent, a, a legalistic formula. Warren Wearsby writes, these Gentiles were not saved by being baptized. They were baptized because they gave evidence of being saved. Sinners have always been saved by faith. That is the one principle God has never changed. But God does change his methods of operation, as is clearly seen in Acts 1 through 10. As I mentioned, you know, the message to, to, uh, in Acts 2 was repent and be baptized. The message in Acts 3 was repent and turn back. The message to them was whoever believes in Christ. So the method might change. But it's saving faith in Christ that matters. Another formula that, that, that we, we often look to is, what does it look like for someone to be truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Many uh, of, of people who were saved in the book of Acts are not described as speaking in tongues. The Ethiopian eunuch is not described as speaking in tongues for one. Wherever the church needed confirmation, though, that this people group that you did not expect would be savable is God gave the evidence that the Holy Spirit was there indwelling them with the speaking in tongues. What matters is the indwelling Holy Spirit, His presence. God's Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. That's what Romans 8.16 reminds us. That's where our assurance of salvation comes from. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't cook a lot. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I like to cook. I don't do, like, detailed recipes, right? The whole whip it this much and then fold something into it. I don't know what folding is, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm lucky if I can fold my shirts. You know, uh, I, none of, I don't get into this, uh, do this immediately or it won't turn out right, okay? Or don't make a lot of noise or it might fall in the oven. What? You know, make sure something has fresh basil. Uh-uh, no, you know, I, Italian seasoning, that big <laughs> bottle is what I need. Okay, I, that, that's something I, I love about the gospel, but we gravitate toward this, oh, you got to do this right. Got to make sure this happened this way. Got to make sure you did this. The person and work of Jesus is what matters. These are the, I, you know, the gospel is a two-ingredient, two-ingredient recipe. The person and work of Jesus and someone to have faith in the person and work of Jesus. That's a two, the two-ingredient recipe of salvation. That's what it comes down to. 
So this brings us to the end of our series on God's transformation of Simon Peter. I wonder what your takeaways might be from this. I want to give you my two big takeaways from this series of God's transformation of a man's man into a God's man. First of all, God can transform what might be your greatest weakness. Peter was impulsive. He was, he was prone to verbal outbursts. And he came, he, he t- was turned into one of God's greatest tools for the kingdom. And God still used Peter's mouth, didn't he? Second, the first one is God can transform what may be your greatest weaknesses. Second is God's transformation power is present in all believers. God's transformational power is present in all believers in the form of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He can transform us just like he transformed Peter. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your promise of transformation. I thank you, Lord God, as I said, you you save us into relationship. You save us into into the opportunity to walk with you moment by moment, daily by by day, being, being transformed little by little. Lord, I pray that you transform us today, this week, And Lord, I thank you so much for welcoming us into your family. I thank you so much for making it so easy. You did all the work in your son, Jesus. Thank you so much for welcoming us to you by faith. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.